Chapter Eight of Pioneers of France in the New World, Part One: The Huguenots in Florida. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pioneers of France in the New World by Francis Parkman, Part One: Huguenots in Florida, Chapter Eight: Massacre of the Heretics, fifteen sixty-five. In suspense and fear, hourly looking seaward for the dreaded fleet of Jean Ribot, the chaplain Mendoza and his brother priests held watch and ward at St. Augustine in the Adelantado's absence. Beside the celestial guardians whom they ceased not to evoke, they had as protectors Bartholomew Menendez, the brother of the Adelantado, and about a hundred soldiers. Day and night they toiled to throw up earthworks and strengthen their position. A week elapsed when they saw a man running towards them, shouting as he ran. Mendoza went to meet him. "'Victory! Victory!' gasped the breathless messenger. "'The French fort is ours!' And he flung his arms about the chaplain's neck. "'Today,' writes the priest in his journal, "'Monday, the 24th, came our good general himself with fifty soldiers, very tired, like all those who were with him. As soon as they told me he was coming, I ran to my lodging, took a new cassock, the best I had, put on my surplice, and went out to meet him with a crucifix in my hand, whereupon he, like a gentleman and a good Christian, kneeled down with all his followers, and gave the Lord a thousand thanks for the great favors he had received from him. In solemn procession, with four priests in front chanting Te Deum, the victors entered St. Augustine in triumph. On the twenty-eighth, when the weary Adelantado was taking his siesta under the sylvan roof of Saloy, a troop of Indians came in with news that quickly roused him from his slumbers. They had seen a French vessel wrecked on the coast towards the south. Those who escaped from her were four or six leagues off, on the banks of a river or arm of the sea, which they could not cross. Menendez instantly sent forty or fifty men in boats to reconnoitre. Next he called the chaplain, for he would fain have him at his elbow to countenance the deeds he meditated, and with him twelve soldiers and two Indian guides, embarked in another boat. They rowed along the channel between Anastasia Island and the main shore. Then they landed, struck across the island on foot, traversed plains and marshes, reached the sea towards night, and searched along shore till ten o'clock to find their comrades who had gone before. At length, with mutual joy, the two parties met, and bivouacked together on the sands. Not far distant they could see lights. These were the campfires of the shipwrecked French. To relate with precision the fortunes of these unhappy men is impossible, for henceforward the French narratives are no longer the narratives of eyewitnesses. It has been seen how, when on the point of assailing the Spaniards at St. Augustine, Jean Ribot was thwarted by a gale, which they hailed as a divine interposition. The gale rose to a tempest of strange fury. Within a few days all the French ships were cast on shore, between Montaza's Inlet and Cape Canaveral. According to a letter of Menendez, many of those on board were lost, but others affirmed that all escaped but a captain, La Grange, an officer of high merit, who was washed from a floating mast. One of the ships was wrecked at a point farther northward than the rest, and it was her company whose campfires were seen by the Spaniards at their bivouac on the sands of Anastasia Island. They were endeavoring to reach Fort Caroline, of the fate of which they knew nothing, while Ribot, with the remainder, was farther southward, struggling through the wilderness towards the same goal. What befell the latter will appear hereafter. Of the fate of the former party there is no French record. What we know of it is due to three Spanish eyewitnesses, Mendoza, 
Dr. Soyles de las Maras, and Menendez himself. Soyles was a priest and brother-in-law to Menendez. Like Mendoza, he minutely describes what he saw, and like him was a red-hot zealot, lavishing applause on the darkest deeds of his chief. But the principal witness, though not the most minute or most trustworthy, is Menendez, in his long dispatches sent from Florida to the king, and now first brought to light in the archives of Sevilla, a cool record of unsurpassed atrocities, inscribed on the back with the royal endorsement, Say to him that he has done well. When the Adelantado saw the French fires in the distance, he lay close in his bivouac, and sent two soldiers to reconnoitre. At two o'clock in the morning they came back, and reported that it was impossible to get at the enemy, since they were on the farther side of an arm of the sea, Mantaza's inlet. Menendez, however, gave orders to march, and before daybreak reached the hither bank, where he hid his men in a bushy hollow. Thence, as it grew light, they could discern the enemy, many of whom were searching along the sands and shallows for shellfish, for they were famishing. A thought struck Menendez, an inspiration, says Mendoza, of the Holy Spirit. He put on the clothes of a sailor, entered a boat which had been brought to the spot, and rowed towards the shipwrecked men, the better to learn their condition. A Frenchman swam out to meet him. Menendez demanded what men they were. "'Followers of Ribot, viceroy of the King of France,' answered the swimmer. "'Are you Catholics or Lutherans?' "'All Lutherans.' A brief dialogue ensued, during which the Adelantado declared his name and character, and the Frenchman gave an account of the designs of Ribot, and of the disaster that had thwarted them. He then swam back to his companions, but soon returned, and asked safe conduct for his captain and four other gentlemen, who wished to hold conference with the Spanish general. Menendez gave his word for their safety, and on returning to the shore sent his boat to bring them over. On their landing he met them very courteously. His followers were kept at a distance, so disposed behind the hills and among the bushes as to give an exaggerated idea of their force, a precaution the more needful, as they were only about sixty in number, while the French, says Soyle, were above two hundred. Menendez, however, declares that they did not exceed a hundred and forty. The French officer told him the story of their shipwreck, and begged him to lend them a boat to aid in crossing rivers which lay between them and the fort of their king, whither they were making their way. Then came again the ominous question, Are you Catholics or Lutherans? We are Lutherans. Gentlemen, pursued Menendez, your fort is taken, and all in it are put to the sword and in proof of his declaration he caused articles plundered from Fort Caroline to be showed to the unhappy petitioners. He then left them, and went to breakfast with his officers, first ordering food to be placed before them. Having breakfasted, he returned to them. Are you convinced now, he asked, that what I have told you is true? The French captain assented, and implored him to lend them ships in which to return home. Menendez answered that he would do so willingly if they were Catholics, and if he had ships to spare, but he had none. The supplicants then expressed the hope that at least they and their followers would be allowed to remain with the Spaniards till ships could be sent to their relief, since there was peace between the two nations, whose kings were friends and brothers. "'All Catholics,' retorted the Spaniard, "'I will befriend, but as you are of the new sect, I hold you as enemies, and wage deadly war against you, and this I will do with all cruelty, crueldad, in this country where I command as viceroy and captain-general for my king.' I am here to plant the holy gospel, that the Indians might be enlightened and come to the knowledge of the holy Catholic faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Roman Church teaches it. If you will give up your arms and banners, and place yourselves at my mercy, you may do so, and I will act towards you as God shall give me grace. Do as you will, 
for other than this you can have neither truce nor friendship with me. Such were the Adelantado's word, as reported by bystanders, including his admiring brother-in-law, and that they contain an implied assurance of mercy has been held, not only by Protestants, but by Catholics and Spaniards. The report of Menendez himself is more brief, and sufficiently equivocal. I answered that they could give up their arms and place themselves under my mercy, that I should do with them what our Lord should order, and from that I did not depart, nor would I, unless God our Lord should otherwise inspire. One of the Frenchmen recrossed to consult with his companions. In two hours he returned, and offered fifty thousand ducats to secure their lives, but Menendez, says his brother-in-law, would give no pledges. On the other hand, expressions in his own dispatches point to the inference that a virtual pledge was given, at least to certain individuals. The starving French saw no resource but to yield themselves to his mercy. The boat was again sent across the river. It returned, laden with banners, arquebuses, swords, targets, and helmets. The Adelantado ordered twenty soldiers to bring over the prisoners, ten at a time. He then took the French officers aside behind a ridge of sand, two gunshots from the bank. Here, with courtesy on his lips and murder in his heart, he said, "'Gentlemen, I have but few men, and you are so many that, if you were free, it would be easy for you to take your satisfaction on us for the people we killed when we took your fort. Therefore it is necessary that you should go to my camp, four leagues from this place, with your hands tied.' Accordingly, as each party landed, they were led out of sight beyond the sand-hill, and their hands tied behind their backs with the match-cords of the arquebuses, though not before each had been supplied with food. The whole day passed before all were brought together, bound and helpless, under the eye of the inexorable Adelantado. But now Mendoza interposed. I was a priest, he says, and had the bowels of a man. He asked that if there were Christians, that is to say, Catholics, among the prisoners, they should be set apart. Twelve Breton sailors professed themselves to be such, and these, together with four carpenters and caulkers, of whom, writes Menendez, I was in great need, were put on board the boat and sent to St. Augustine. The rest were ordered to march thither by land. The Adelantado walked in advance till he came to a lonely spot, not far distant, deep among the bush-covered hills. Here he stopped, and with his cane drew a line in the sand. The sun was set when the captive Huguenots, with their escort, reached the fatal goal thus marked out. And now let the curtain drop, for here, in the name of heaven, the hounds of hell were turned loose, and the savage soldiery, like wolves in a sheepfold, rioted in slaughter. Of all that wretched company not one was left alive. I had their hands tied behind their backs, writes the chief criminal, and themselves put to the knife, it appeared to me that, by thus chastising them, God our Lord and your majesty were served, whereby in future this evil sect will leave us more free to plant the gospel in these parts. Again Menendez returned triumphant to St. Augustine, and behind him marched his band of butchers, steeped in blood to the elbows, but still unsated. Great as had been his success, he still had cause for anxiety. There was ill news of his fleet. Some of the ships were lost, others scattered, or lagging tardily on their way. Of his whole force less than a half had reached Florida, and of these a large part were still at Fort Caroline. Ribot could not be far off, and whatever might be the condition of his shipwrecked company, their numbers would make them formidable, unless taken at advantage. Urged by fear and fortified by fanaticism, Menendez had well begun his work of slaughter, but rest for him there was none a darker deed was behind. 
On the 10th of October, Indians came with the tidings that, at the spot where the first party of the shipwrecked French had been found, there was now another party still larger. This murder-loving race looked with great respect on Menendez for his wholesale butchery of the night before, an exploit rarely equaled in their own annals of massacre. On his part he doubted not that Ribot was at hand. Marching with a hundred and fifty men, he crossed the bush-covered sands of Anastasia Island, followed the strand between the thickets and the sea, reached the inlet at midnight, and again like a savage ambushed himself on the bank. Day broke, and he could plainly see the French on the farther side. They had made a raft, which lay in the water ready for crossing. Menendez and his men showed themselves, when forthwith the French displayed their banners, sounded drums and trumpets, and set their sick and starving ranks in array of battle. But the Adelantado, regardless of this warlike show, ordered his men to seat themselves at breakfast, while he, with three officers, walked unconcernedly along the shore. His coolness had its effect. The French blew a trumpet of parley, and showed a white flag. The Spaniards replied. A Frenchman came out upon the raft, and shouting across the water, asked that a Spanish envoy should be sent over. "'You have a raft,' was the reply. "'Come yourselves.' An Indian canoe lay under the bank on the Spanish side. A French sailor swam to it, paddled back unmolested, and presently returned, bringing with him La Caille, Ribot's sergeant-major. He told Menendez that the French were three hundred and fifty in all, and were on their way to Fort Caroline, and like the officers of the former party, he begged for boats to aid them in crossing the river. "'My brother,' said Menendez, "'go and tell your general that, if he wishes to speak with me, he may come with four or six companions, and that I pledge my word he shall go back safe.' Lacaille returned, and Ribot, with eight gentlemen, soon came over in the canoe. Menendez met them courteously, caused wine and preserved fruits to be placed before them. He had come well provisioned on his errand of blood, and next led Ribot to the reeking Golgotha, where, in heaps upon the sand, lay the corpses of his slaughtered followers. Ribot was prepared for the spectacle. Lacaille had already seen it, but he would not believe that Fort Caroline was taken till a part of the plunder was shown him. Then, mastering his despair, he turned to the conqueror, what has befallen us, he said, may one day befall you. And urging that the kings of France and Spain were brothers and close friends, he begged in the name of that friendship that the Spaniard would aid him in conveying his followers home. Menendez gave him the same equivocal answer that he had given the former party, and Ribot returned to consult with his officers. After three hours of absence, he came back in the canoe, and told the Adelantado that some of his people were ready to surrender at discretion, but that many refused. "'They can do as they please,' was the reply. In behalf of those who surrendered, Ribot offered a ransom of a hundred thousand ducats. "'It would much grieve me,' said Menendez, "'not to accept it, for I have a great need of it.' Ribot was much encouraged. Menendez could scarcely forgo such a prize, and he thought, says the Spanish narrator, that the lives of his followers would now be safe. He asked to be allowed the night for deliberation, and at sunset recrossed the river. In the morning he reappeared among the Spaniards, and reported that two hundred of his men had retreated from the spot, but that the remaining hundred and fifty would surrender. At the same time he gave into the hands of Menendez the royal standard and other flags, with his sword, dagger, helmet, buckler, and the official seal given him by Coligny. Menendez directed an officer to enter the boat and bring over the French by tens. He next led Ribot among the bushes behind the neighboring sand-hill, and ordered his hands to be bound fast. Then the scales fell from the prisoner's eyes. 
Face to face, his fate rose up before him. He saw his followers and himself entrapped, the dupes of words artfully framed to lure them to their ruin. The day wore on, and as band after band of prisoners was brought over, they were led behind the sandhill out of sight from the farther shore, and bound like their general. At length the transit was finished. With bloodshot eyes and weapons bared, the Spaniards closed around their victims. "'Are you Catholics or Lutherans? And is there any one among you who will go to confession?' Ribot answered, "'I and all here are of the Reformed faith.' And he recited the psalm, "'Domine, memento mia.' We are of earth, he continued, and to earth we must return. Twenty years more or less can matter little. And turning to the adelantado, he bade him do his will. The stony-hearted bigot gave the signal, and those who will may paint to themselves the horrors of the scene. A few, however, were spared. I saved, writes Menendez, the lives of two young gentlemen of about eighteen years of age, as well as of three others, the fifer, the drummer, and the trumpeter, and I caused Juan Ribot, with all the rest, to be put to the knife, judging this to be necessary for the service of God our Lord and of your Majesty. And I consider it good fortune that he, Juan Ribot, should be dead, for the King of France could effect more with him and five hundred ducats than with other men and five thousand, and he would do more in one year than another in ten, for he was the most experienced sailor and naval commander known, and of great skill in this navigation of the Indies and the coast of Florida." He was, besides, greatly liked in England, in which kingdom his reputation was such that he was appointed captain-general of all the English fleet against the French Catholics in the war between England and France some years ago. Such is the sum of the Spanish accounts, the self-damning testimony of the author and abettors of the crime, a picture of lurid and awful colouring, and yet there is reason to believe that the truth was darker still. Among those who were spared was one Christophe Le Breton, who was carried to Spain, escaped to France, and told his story to Chalot. Among those struck down in the butchery was a sailor of Dieppe, stunned and left for dead under a heap of corpses. In the night he revived, contrived to draw his knife, cut the cords that bound his hands, and made his way to an Indian village. The Indians, not without reluctance, abandoned him to the Spaniards, who sold him as a slave. But on his way in fetters to Portugal, the ship was taken by the Huguenots. The sailor set free, and his story published in the narrative of Le Moyne. When the massacre was known in France, the friends and relatives of the victims sent to the king, Charles the Ninth a vehement petition for redress, and their memorial recounts many incidents of the tragedy. From these three sources is to be drawn the French version of the story. The following is its substance. Famished and desperate, the followers of Ribot were toiling northward to seek refuge at Fort Caroline, when they found the Spaniards in their path. Some were filled with dismay, others in their misery almost hailed them as deliverers. Lacay, the sergeant-major, crossed the river. Menendez met him with a face of friendship, and protested that he would spare the lives of the shipwrecked men, sealing the promise with an oath, a kiss, and many signs of the cross. He even gave it in writing under seal. Still there were many among the French who would not place themselves in his power. The most credulous crossed the river in a boat. As each successive party landed, their hands were bound fast at their backs, and thus, except a few who were set apart, they were all driven towards the fort, like cattle to the shambles, with curses and scurrilous abuse. Then, at sound of drums and trumpets, the Spaniards fell upon them, striking them down with swords, pikes, and halberds. Ribot vainly called on the Adelantado to remember his oath. By his order, a soldier plunged a dagger into the French commander's heart, 
and Autagny, who stood near, met a similar fate. Ribot's beard was cut off, and portions of it sent in a letter to Philip II. His head was hewn into four parts, one of which was displayed on the point of a lance at each corner of Fort St. Augustine. Great fires were kindled, and the bodies of the murdered burned to ashes. Such is the sum of the French accounts. The charge of breach of faith contained in them was believed by Catholics as well as Protestants, and it was as a defense against this charge that the narrative of the Adelantado's brother-in-law was published. That Ribot, a man whose good sense and courage were both reputed high, should have submitted himself and his men to Menendez without positive assurance of safety, is scarcely credible, nor is it lack of charity to believe that a bigot so savage in heart and so perverted in conscience would act on the maxim, current among certain casuists of the day, that faith ought not to be kept with heretics. It was night when the Adelantado again entered St. Augustine. There were some who blamed his cruelty, but many applauded. Even if the French had been Catholics, such was their language, he would have done right, for with the little provision we have, they would all have starved. Besides, there were so many of them that they would have cut our throats. And now Menendez again addressed himself to the despatch, already begun, in which he recounts to the king his labors and his triumphs, a deliberate and business-like document, mingling narratives of butchery with recommendations for promotions, commissary details, and petitions for supplies, enlarging, too, on the vast schemes of encroachment which his successful generalship had brought to naught. The French, he says, had planned a military and naval depot at Los Martiers, whence they would make a descent upon Havana, and another at the Bay of Ponce de Leon, whence they could threaten Veracruz. They had long been encroaching on Spanish rights at Newfoundland, from which a great arm of the sea, doubtless meaning the St. Lawrence, would give them access to the Moluccas and other parts of the East Indies. He adds, in a later despatch, that by this passage they may reach the mines of Zacatecas and St. Martin, as well as every part of the South Sea. And as already mentioned, he urges immediate occupation of Chesapeake Bay, which by its supposed water communication with the St. Lawrence, would enable Spain to vindicate her rights, control the fisheries of Newfoundland, and thwart her rival in vast designs of commercial and territorial aggrandizement. Thus did France and Spain dispute the possession of North America, long before England became a party to the strike. Some twenty days after Menendez returned to St. Augustine, the Indians, enamored of carnage, and exulting to see their invaders mowed down, came to tell him that on the coast southward, near Cape Canaveral, a great number of Frenchmen were entrenching themselves. They were those of Ribot's party who had refused to surrender. Having retreated to the spot where their ships had been cast ashore, they were trying to build a vessel from the fragments of the wrecks. In all haste Menendez dispatched messengers to Fort Caroline, named by him San Mateo, ordering a reinforcement of a hundred and fifty men. In a few days they came. He added some of his own soldiers, and with a united force of two hundred and fifty, set out, as he tells us, on the 2nd of November. A part of his force went by sea, while the rest pushed southward along the shore with such merciless energy that several men dropped dead with wading night and day through the loose sands. When, from behind their frail defenses, the French saw the Spanish pikes and partisans glittering into view, they fled in a panic, and took refuge among the hills. Menendez sent a trumpet to summon them, pledging his honor for their safety. The commander and several others told the messenger that they would sooner be eaten by the savages than trust themselves to Spaniards, and escaping, they fled to the Indian towns. The rest surrendered, and Menendez kept his word. 
the comparative number of his own men made his prisoners no longer dangerous. They were led back to St. Augustine, where, as the Spanish writer affirms, they were well treated. Those of good birth sat at the Adelantado's table, eating the bread of a homicide crimsoned with the slaughter of their comrades. The priests essayed their pious efforts, and under the gloomy menace of the Inquisition, some of the heretics renounced their errors. The fate of the captives may be gathered from the endorsement, in the handwriting of the king, on one of the dispatches of Menendez. Say to him, writes Philip II, that as to those he has killed he has done well, and as to those he has saved they shall be sent to the galleys. End of chapter 8